0: Little Women, Chapter 10, The P.C. and the P.O. As spring came on, a new set of amusements became the fashion, and the lengthening days gave long afternoons for work and play of all sorts. The garden had to be put in order, and each sister had a quarter of a little plot to do what she liked with. Hannah used to say, I know which each of them gardenings belonged to, if I see him in chinny, and so she might, for the girls' tastes, differed as much as their characters. Meg's had roses and heliotrope, myrtle and a little orange tree in it. Joe's bed was never alike two seasons, for she was always trying experiments. This year it was to be a plantation of sunflowers, the seeds of which cheerful land-aspiring plant were to feed Aunt Cockle, Top and her family family of chicks, Aunt Cockletop and her family of chicks. Beth had old-fashioned fragrant flowers in her garden, sweet peas, and mignet, larkspur, pinks, pansies, and southern wood, with chickweed for the birds and catnip for the pussies. Amy had a bower in her hands, rather small and earwiggy but very pretty to look at with honeysuckle and morning glories hanging their colored horns and bells and graceful wreaths all over it tall white lilies delicate ferns and as many beautiful picturesque plants as would consent to blossom there gardening walks, rows on river and flower hunts employed the fine days and for rainy ones they had house diversions some old, some new all more or less original one of these was the PC for as secret societies were the fashion, it was thought proper to have one, and as all of the girls admired Dickens, they called themselves the Pickwick Club. With a few interruptions, they had kept this up for a year and met every Saturday evening in the big garret, on which occasions the ceremonies were as follows. Three chairs were arranged in a row before a table on which was a lamp. Also, four white badges with a big PC in different colors on each. And the weekly newspaper called The Pickwick Portfolio, to which all contributed something, while Joe, who reveled in pens and ink, was the editor. At seven o'clock, the four members ascended to the club room, tied their badges around their heads, and took their seats with great solemnity. Meg, as the eldest, was Samuel Pickwick, Joe, being a literary turn, Augustus Snodgrass, Beth because she was round and rosy, Tracy Tutman, and Amy, who was always trying to do what she couldn't, was Nathaniel Winkle. Pickwick, the president, read the paper, which was filled with original tales, poetry, local news, funny advertisements, and hints, in which they good-naturedly reminded each other of their faults and shortcomings. On one occasion, mister Pitwick put on a pair of spectacles without any glass, wrapped upon the table, hemmed and having stared hard at mister Snodgrass, who was tilting back in his chair, till he arranged himself properly, began to read. The Pickwick Portfolio, May twentieth, eighteen Poet's Corner Anniversary Ode. Again we meet to celebrate with Badge and Solemn rite, our 52nd anniversary in Pickwick Hall tonight. We all are here in perfect health, none gone from our small band. Again we see each well-known face and press each friendly hand. Our Pickwick always at his post, with reverence we greet. As spectacles on nose, he reads, our well-filled weekly sheet though he suffers from a cold, we joy to hear him speak, for words of wisdoms from him fall in spite of croak or squeak. Old six-foot snoggrass looms on high with elephantine grace and beams upon the company with brown and jovial face. Poetic fire lights up his eye, he struggles against his lot. Behold ambition on his brow and on his nose a blot. Next our peaceful our peaceful Tupman comes, so rosy, plump, and sweet, who chokes with laughter at the puns and trembles off his seat. Prim little Winkle, too, is here with every hair in place, a model of propriety that he hates to wash his face. The year is gone, we still unite to joke and laugh and read. We tread the path of literature that doth to glory lead. Long may our paper prosper well, our club unbroken be, and coming this year, coming years, their blessing pour on the useful gay P C A snobgrass. Last marriage, a tale of Venice. Gondola after gondola swept up to the marble steps and left its lovely load to swell the brilliant throng that filled the stately halls of Count Adelon. Knights and ladies, elves and pages, monks and flower girls, all mingled gaily in the dance. Sweet voices and rich melody filled the air, and so with mirth and music the masquerade went on. Has your Highness seen the Lady Viola tonight? asked a gallant troubadour from the fairy queen, who floated down the hall upon his arm. "'Yes, is she not lovely?' though so said. "'Her dress is well chosen, too. For a week she weds Count Antonio, whom she passionately hates. "'But my faith I envy him. "'Yonder he comes, arrayed like a bridegroom, except the black mask.' When that is off, we shall see how he regards the fair maid, whose heart he cannot win. Though her stern father bestows her hand, returned the troubadour. Tis whispered that she loves the young English artist, who haunts her steps and is spurned by old count, said the lady, as they joined the dance. The revel was at its height when a priest appeared, and withdrawing the young pair to an alcove, hung with purple velvet, he motioned them to kneel. Instant silence fell on the gay throng, and not a sound but the dash of fountains, for a rustle of orange groves, sleeping in the moonlight, broke the hush as Count de spoke thus, My lords and ladies, pardon the ruse by which I have gathered you here to witness the marriage of my daughter. Father, we wait your services. All eyes turned towards the bridal party, and a murmur of amazement went through the throng for neither bride nor groom removed their masks. Curiosity and wonder possessed all hearts, but respect restrained all tongues till the holy rite was over. Then the eager spectators gathered round the court, demanding an explanation. Gladly would I give it if I could, but I only know that it was the whim of my timid viola, and I yielded to it. Now, my children... Let the play end. Unmask and receive my blessing. But neither bent the knee, for the young bridegroom replied in a tone that startled all listeners as the mask fell, disclosing the noble face of Ferdinand Devereux, the artist's lover, and leaning on the breast where now flashed the star of an English earl was the lovely Viola, radiant with joy and beauty. "'My lord, you scornfully bade me claim your daughter "'when you could boast as high a name "'and vast a fortune as the Count Antonio. "'I can do more, for even your ambitious soul "'cannot refuse the Earl of Devereux de Devere. "'When he gives his ancient name and boundless wealth "'in return for the beloved hand of his fair lady, "'now my, li- my wife.' "'The Count stood like one changed to stone, "'turning to the bewildered crowd.' Ferdinand added with a gay smile of triumph. To you, my gallant friends, I can only wish that your wooing may prosper, as mine has done, and that you may all win as fair a bride as I have by this masked marriage. Sir Pickwick Why is the PC like the Tower of Babel? It is full of unruly members. The History of a Squash Once upon a time, a farmer planted a little seed in his garden, and after a while it sprouted and became a vine and bore many squashes. One day in October, when they were ripe, he picked one and took it to a market. A grocer man bought and put it in his shop. That same morning, a little girl in a brown hat and a blue dress, with a round face and snub nose, went and bought it for her mother. She lugged it home, cut it up, and boiled it in a big pot mash some of it with salt and butter for dinner and to the rest she added a pint of milk two eggs four spoons of sugar nutmeg and some crackers put it in a deep dish and baked it till it was brown and nice and next day it was eaten by the family named march t tupman Mr. Pickwick, sir, I address you upon the subject of sin, the sinner I mean, is a man named Winkle who makes trouble in his club by laughing and sometimes won't write his piece in this fine paper I hope you will pardon his badness and let him send a French fable because he can't write out of his head as he has so many lessons to do and no brains in future. I will try to take my time by the fetlock and prepare some work which will be all comi. La Lafo that, that means all right I am in haste, as it is nearly school time. Yours respectfully Anne Winkle The above is a manly and handsome acknowledgement of past misdemeanors. If our young friend studied punctuation it would be well. A sad accident. On Friday last, we were startled by a violent shock in our basement, followed by cries of distress. On rushing in a body to the cellar, we discovered our beloved president prostrate upon the floor, having tripped and fallen while getting wood for domestic purposes. A perfect scene of ruin met our eyes, for in his fall, Mr. Pickwick had plunged his head and shoulders into a tub of water. Upset a keg of soft soap upon his manly form and torn his garments badly. On being removed from his perilous situation, it was discovered that he had suffered no injury, but several bruises, and we are happy to add, is now doing well. E. D The public Bereavement It is our painful duty to record the sudden and mysterious disappearance of our cherished friend, Mrs. Snowball Pat this lovely and beloved cat was the pet of a large circle of warm and admiring friends. For her, beauty attracted all eyes. Her graces and virtues endeared. Her to all hearts and her loss is deeply felt by her whole community. One last scene, she was sitting at the gate watching the butcher's cart, and it is feared that some villain, tempted by her charms, basely stole her. Weeks have passed, but no trace of her has been discovered, and we relinquish all hope. Tie a black ribbon to her basket, set aside her dish, and weep for her as one lost to us forever. A sympathizing friend sends the following gem. "All lament for SB Pet Paw. We mourn the loss of our little pet, and sigh, o'er her hapless fate. For nevermore by the fire she'll sit, nor play by the old green gate. The little grave where her infant sleeps is neath the chestnut tree. But over her grave we may not weep. We know not where it may be. Her empty bed, her idle ball, will never see her more. No gentle tap, no loving purr is heard at the parlor door. Another cat comes after her mice. A cat with a dirty face but she does not hunt as our darling did, nor play with her airy grace. Her stealthy paws tread the very hall where Snowball used to play, but she only spits at the dogs our pet so gallantly drove away. She is useful and mild and does her best, but she is not fair to see, and we cannot give her your place, dear, nor worship her as we worship thee. A. S. Advertisement, Miss Orenthe Bluggage, the accomplished strong-minded lecturer, will deliver her famous lecture on women and her position at Pickwick Hall next Saturday evening after the usual performances. A weekly meeting will be held at Kitchen Place to teach young ladies how to cook. Hannah Brown will preside and all all are invited to attend the dustpan society will meet on wednesday night and parade in the upper story of the clubhouse all members to appear in uniform and shoulder their brooms at nine precisely mrs beth bouncer will open her new assortment of dolls millionaire next week the latest paris fashions have arrived and orders are respectfully solicited A new play will appear at the Barnville Theater in the course of a a few weeks, which will surpass anything ever seen on the American stage. The Greek Slave or Constantine the Avenger is the name of this thrilling drama. Hints. If SP didn't use so much soap on his hands, he would always be late for breakfast. AS is requested not to whistle in the street. TT, please don't forget Amy's napkin. And W must not fret because his dress has not nine tucks. Weekly Report Meg, good. Joe, bad. Beth, very good. Amy, middling. As the President finished reading the paper, which I beg leave to assure my readers is a bona fide copy of one written by bona fide girls once upon a time, a round of applause followed, and then Mr. Snodgrass rose to make a proposition. Mr. President and Gentlemen, he began assuming a preliminary attitude and tone. I wish to propose the admission of a new member, one who highly deserves the honor, would be deeply grateful for it, and would add immensely to the spirit of the club. The literary value of the paper, and no and jolly and nice. I propose Mr. Theodore Lawrence as an honorary member of the p c of the p c Come now, do have him. Joe's sudden change of tone made the girls laugh, but all looked rather anxious and no one said a word as Snodgrass took his seat. We'll put it to a vote, said the president. All in favor for this motion, please please to manifest it by saying aye. A loud response from Snodgrass followed, to everybody's surprise, the timid one from Beth. Contrary-minded, say no. Meg and Amy were contrary-minded. Mr. Winkle rose to say with great elegance, We don't wish any boys. They only joke and bounce about. This is a ladies' club, and we wish to be private and proper. I'm afraid he'll laugh at our paper and make fun of us afterward, observed Pickwick, pulling the little curl on her forehead, as she always did when doubtful up rose Snodgrass with very much earnest sir I give you my word as a gentleman Laurie will do anything of the sort he likes to write and he'll give a tone to our contributions and keep us from being sentimental don't you see we can do so little for him and he does so much for us I think the least we can do is to offer him a place here and make him welcome if he comes this artful allusion to benefits conferred brought Tupman and his Tutman to his feet, looking as if he had quite made up his mind. Yes, we ought to do it, even if we are afraid. I say he may come, and his grandpa too, if he likes.